Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Uh, We have been, uh, just a real quick wrap up, we're talking about how God reveals grace, and the first three chapters was the manner by which God does do that. It's more doctrinal, it's more, you know, uh, nuts and bolts uh, in the in the kingdom. And then chapters four, five, and six are more nuts and bolts in everyday relationships. So how how the doctrines actually affect our our everyday relationships. And uh, and that's a very important thing. You know, our our faith isn't about what we believe; it's how it's lived out. That's where the power really is, is is not in in just what we have faith in, but who we have faith in and how it affects. In fact, everything that Jesus teaches us, it it really comes down to not these truths will, they'll set you free, yes, but the truths of Jesus inform us and help us to walk in faithfulness. And it's, it's by our love that the world will know. It's by our, our good works and our good deeds that people will know. And so it's how truths are, are lived out that, that where we're able to really know if we believe them or not. It's not by what, what happens here. It's about what happens here and out here. So one of the things that Paul is, is starting with in chapter 4 is how that grace that God has distributed to us affects our relationships with uh, folks that we, that we worship with, our, our church family, and how important that is as a bedrock relationship as we practice with one another, as we practice the fruit of the Spirit together, as we administrate our spiritual giftings together, as we live life in each other's lives and encourage each other and, and provoke each other into good works, as we do that, it's a great encouragement to us. It's also a wonderful example to the world around us. And so that's where Paul starts in chapter 4. Now, you know as well as I do about any group of people when they get together, there usually is a, a uh, well, I hate to say it because it sounds a little bit crude and it's not what I mean, but kind of herd mentality. It's like everybody seems to drop to that baseline of where everybody is. And very rarely, when we're in a familiar company, do we live up we usually find the lowest common denominator, and that's where the conversations are. Now, I'm not necessarily beating us up over that. What I am saying is, is sometimes when we come out of sinfulness and brokenness, sometimes even as Christians, our encouragement, our fellowship, sometimes gets a little bit dicey, gets a little bit more worldly and a lot less spiritual encouragement. And so Paul, knowing this, he begins in verse 17. And so that's where I want to start reading. I'm going to read it straight through. Paul said, and it's, so I'll, no, I'm just going to read it. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord. So this is not just Paul's truth. Paul has been given this by the Lord. Sometimes Paul may say, you know, I say this, not the Lord, whether it's Paul knows or not, we don't know, but 
Here he knows this message is not Paul's opinion. This message comes from the Lord. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have, been, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, or because all of this is true, having put away falsehood, which is the summation of everything Paul just said, falsehood. Having put away all of those things, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up as is fit for the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, I just pray that you would speak. I pray that we would hear. I pray that your mercy would allow us to respond. Help us to hear what your spirit has to say, and may we be sensitive to our own life. Give us ears to, see, uh, to hear, but give us eyes to see, Lord, that we may no longer deceive ourselves, but we may listen and respond to your spirit as he, as he leads us and guides us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the first things that I think Paul is getting here to is, is that we have a new identity. Once the grace of God comes from heaven, which always is, God is the initiator with that grace. When God's grace extends out of heaven and we're able to respond by faith and we do respond to that grace, we experience a relationship with him where that grace enters into us, completely changes our life, and then begins to flow out of us into other relationships. It's very, very important for us to understand that what God is doing, he doesn't only do to us, he does through us. And so every gift is for the benefit of all. Uh, not just in the church, but outside the church as well. And so here what Paul is saying is that when the grace of God begins to flow through a person, there is a new identity that begins. In fact, Paul tells the church at Corinth that old things have passed away and all things have become what? New. We are a new creation. We are a new creation. 
When, when the Father, it's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That is what the Father wants, a relationship with all of his creation. And Jesus Christ made the way, and the Holy Spirit breathed into all of those who respond by faith to the grace of God. When that happens, we experience our own resurrection due to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not, not necessarily physically, but spiritually for certain. Paul goes on to say in every book that he writes about the spirit inside of a man that is born dead because of the sin nature. But when we say yes to Jesus, the spirit breathes life into that dead spirit. Now, it's very important for us to recognize that that's the identity that we live in now. But so often, we, we respond to the things we feel, the things that we see, the things that we hear, and we forget that identity in Christ, and we begin to live a better version of our identity in the flesh. Now, it's really important in verse 17 when Paul says, no longer walk as Gentiles do, because let me remind you, in Ephesus, Paul is writing to Gentiles, that's who they are by DNA. That's who they are by blood. That's where they come from. What Paul is telling them is, quit living as if you're one of the people that's living around you. Quit living the way you used to. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring out in this is how, how tricky the deceitfulness of our own minds are, especially when we're lured away by Satan too, is there is this temptation, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But there is this temptation that Christians feel like we have to stay relevant, that we have to stay real, that we have to be kind of gritty, and we have to walk that line because if we can't show the world how to be worldly in Christ, they'll never be reached with the gospel. And so we kind of try to flirt with, hey, look, Christians can have fun too. Hey, Christians can go where the world goes. Hey, Christians can do what, but, but it's by the grace of God. What Paul is saying is, whatever the Gentiles do, Christians, knock it off. Quit living like they live. Quit trying to approach Gentiles with better versions of Gentile living. And by the way, if Paul were writing to Jews, which he, his ministry was to Gentiles, but when he wrote to the church at Galatia, which was Gentiles, but they had fallen under this idea that in order to become a Christian, they had to become Jews first. Well, they had been taught this. Be a Jew first, and then you can convert to Christianity. But they had become so wrapped up in the grace of God, they began to feel guilty by not following the Old Testament law. And so Paul, the, the whole purpose of the book of Galatians was to tell the, the Gentiles who were acting like Jews to stop at living like Jews. The grace of God is sufficient. It's enough. So to Jews, Paul says, quit living like Jews. To the Gentiles, he says, quit living like Gentiles. You have a new identity. You need to live and walk, breathe, have your being in that identity. I would say that if pastoring were to be reduced down to a single role, it would be this, to remind people who they are in Jesus Christ. So what is, what is your identity? You know, what, I just want you to think about, you know, all of us have our own lives. We have our own things. We have our own relationships. 
So when you're in the day-to-day grind, what identity are you walking in? What identity are you living in? For whose purpose do you live? Now listen, you're going to be tempted to walk according to the culture. But you must not. Must not. That's what Paul says. You must no longer. He's not saying it's good advice. You must not no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So there's a stark contrast between the way the world lives and the way Christianity lives. And I'm telling you, it becomes a major slippery slope. And we eventually, you know, okay, well, I'm a Christian, but here's my level of comfort. There's a desire to walk as the Gentiles do, if you were Gentile. But there's a desire to walk like the Jews do, if you were a Jew. So this must that Paul uses implies importance, but it also implies a natural drift, a a neutral, if you will, which means that walking as Christ requires boundaries and it requires intentionality. Listen, if you want to hang out where the Gentiles hang out, you will eventually live like Gentiles. If you hang around to Gentile thinking all the time, you will eventually think like Gentiles. This is why Paul says you must not. And by the way, he's already told us how deceitful our human minds are. And and you may say, no, I'm strong enough to handle it. You're not. And you're only deceiving yourself. So it's very important for us to understand this slippery slope. It takes boundaries. And it takes, I've said it a minute ago, but it takes intentionality. What does that mean? Well, boundaries means that we better be careful how far we go. And I've met a lot of people who had good intentions without boundaries. And they end up in places for the right reasons, but they end up eventually with the wrong kind of thinking. I'm talking about, I'm talking about people who, I don't, want to get, I don't want to get too personal here, but I'm talking about you, know, you, you, leave, you leave friend groups, you, reckon, you feel the conviction of the Lord, you make some decisions, and now you're going to go back into those same toxic relationships. I've seen it dozens and dozens of times where we fall right back into toxic living, toxic thinking. So we've got to set boundaries of how far I will go and for what reason I go there. Remember that intentionality means that wherever the boundary is, the purpose, my life's purpose, my daily purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. Jesus said to make disciples. And so for us, Connect Church, what we want to do is everywhere we go, the reason we go into a room, the reason our, pur- our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. And so when you're lost and you don't know what to do, we help people find and follow Jesus. It's the purpose of every relationship. It's the purpose of every divine encounter. It's the purpose of every conversation is to elevate Christ, to lift Christ to a higher level. Not, action, not, not to every time to get a, you know, a conversion or a, you know, somebody to pray a prayer, but every encounter should make much of Christ and lift him up. That's how you know you're walking in a new identity, his identity. Otherwise, I'm telling you, we slip to a place that we don't even know we slip to. And we convince ourselves we haven't. So 
Don't get lost in your day. Don't get lost in your calendar. Don't get lost even in your family. Sometimes the good things are the greatest temptation from Christ-likeness. Get in our comfort. We convince ourselves that we're we we need comfort and we need ease and we need relaxation and we you know, when when you start looking at scripture and you see the joy of the lord is my strength and you start seeing all of the things that we crave actually come directly from the lord and so sometimes we drop our guard and take vacations from the lord so that we can relax and don't let your business get in the way. Don't let your busyness get in the way. Don't let your self-importance get in the way. All of these things at, from time to time are important things, but they're always second to your identity in Jesus Christ. We must learn how to cultivate spiritual conversation, spiritual mindset, and make it muscle memory. How can I possibly be that intentional? I know that's a you know we, we because we are so important and we are so busy, we are so influential. You know, I want I want my faith just to be something I do from time to time, something I can schedule. But but I do believe that there's something inside of every one of us that when we do do that, we feel this vexation of our spirit, this lack of purpose, this this slippery. You know, sometimes it feels like guilt or shame or unworthiness. All of this is a slack. The only way that we can be that intentional is to wake up in the morning and pray and to ask the Lord to give us eyes to see opportunities. As we're getting ready in the morning, we start thinking over our day and start giving the Lord permission to speak through us. We get to the middle of our day and we ask the Lord to speak through us. And we get to the end of our day, we thank the Lord for all the opportunities that we have. It's, it's where we turn this relationship with Jesus into a friendship. Because he's walking with us every step. He's a friend to us already. But sometimes we, we maximize these relationships to the expense of the purpose these relationships even occur. Be friend of Jesus. Spend time in his word. Spend time with him in prayer. Ask him to open your eyes. And I'm telling you, you'll be more sensitive as the day goes on. Have good friends. Have friends that provoke Christ-likeness in you. That'll ask you the hard questions. That'll encourage you to do the right things. Well, the Gentiles, Paul says, they walk in the futility of their minds. That word futility is an interesting word. Mateotes. It means absolutely devoid of all truth. So if they're walking in the futility of their minds, it means that their minds, while unknown to them, are completely devoid of truth. Now, they think it's true. But the Gentiles walk in such a way that they're arrogant, they're prideful, they know more than you, they've studied more than you, they, uh, they're just fine where they're at. But what Paul says, it's mateotes. Another translation is inappropriate. It means depravity, 
perverseness, not just sexual, but empty of any truth in any regard, not, not full of truth like Jesus is. It's very important, I think, to see this word and to understand it because it's, it's a word that we can judge our mind against. You see, living in the economy of the world's thinking, the desires, the going with the flow, selfishness, independence, all of those things, truly any way of life that's absent from truth, and remember who truth is, truth is not a thing, truth is a person. So this futility of their minds is living their day-to-day life without any thought of Jesus. Jesus is something we do on Sunday morning from time to time. Jesus is something we do when we're hurting, when we're broken, when we're uncomfortable, where somebody that we love is. So when you start thinking about how is my day, how much of your day is spent on Jesus and making much of Jesus? If you would say not much, then you're living in the futility of your mind. And we don't even know it. We don't even recognize it. If somebody were to say, are you a Christian? We would say, yes. But we don't, make, we don't think much about that during our work week or our life. So the contrast then becomes very clear how much of my life is about making much of Jesus. Paul gives us a very clear picture of both, kind of. He says they are darkened in their understanding. Do they know that? Nope. They're confident alienated from the life of God. Do they know that? Nope. It's interesting too. They're not alienated from God. They're alienated from the life that God gives birth to. They're alienated from the life and satisfied with the one from this world. Why are they fuzzy and why are they separated from God? Because God is proving something to them? No. Because, and again, these are Paul's words, because they are ignorant of truth. Now, there's two times, two types of ignorance. There's willful ignorance and there's unwillful ignorance. And it could be both. Sometimes you want to tell someone something about something and they ignore you because they don't want to hear what you're talking about. You ever had, you ever had that? You ever have somebody, you wanted to tell them something but they didn't want to hear it so they ignore you? Uh, all the parents in the room, raise your hands. Yeah, of course. Right. Inconvenient truths, commands to obey. How many times has somebody said, yeah, but I didn't hear you? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you heard me. You ignored me. Sometimes people have never heard or they're living a life according to their own best ideas. They're desperate. You know, they've, they're, they're coming out of failure and out of brokenness. And it's, and it's really, it's, it's, it's sad because I know a lot of people who are ignorant of truth because they've never heard it. They've never seen it lived out. So there's two different types of, of ignorance. But regardless of whether it's willful or unwillful, ignorance is dangerous and it's very unnecessary. Willful ignorance is remedied by our love and our patience It is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. These are people who are ignoring God, but it's his goodness that soften hearts, not anger. And focusing on what God can do in another person's life keeps us sensitive. Remembering what God has done in our hardened heart keeps us sensitive and patient. 
Sometimes God puts people in our lives so that they can see Jesus in us. It's not all about you. Sometimes other people need to see the Jesus that's in you. Now, unwillful ignorance is remedied by sharing the truth wherever we go, allowing people to see something different in us so that when they, they do see that something different, they may ask us about the hope that's within us. Peter said, be ready to give an answer when they ask for that hope. So many of us walk in our deluded, unproductive, unpurposeful lives, and our identity's not necessarily in Jesus, that nobody's asking us about the hope that's within us because nobody can see the hope. What happens when you don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit? So it's ignorance that produces the alienation. It's, it's ignorance that produces the darkness of their minds, the darkness of their understanding. But what happens when you don't have the prodding of the Holy Spirit? What happens when you don't have the truth of God's word to depend upon? What happens when you don't have a good example to help guide you and to keep you on the rails? What happens when you don't have the scripture and the Holy Spirit is using that scripture to keep you from going into Gentile thinking? Well, you make decisions based upon separate and alienation. You don't know it. I mean, it looks right and it feels right. Why Christians get angry at sinners, I will never understand. Because it's a byproduct of being a sinner. I mean, there's only really one qualification for being a sinner. There's one qualification. Anybody know it? They got a sin. And I think we're so quick to forget that that's who we were. That's who we were. There's no such sin, but such is common to man. Unless we forget, we get into the futility of our own minds and we forget humility. We forget what Jesus has done in us. Therefore, we get angry at people when they're not like us. We get into our little groups and we point fingers and we talk about all of those people. Shame on us. I don't understand why our hearts aren't broken. So whether it's willful ignorance or unwillful ignorance, does it really matter? The church of Jesus Christ has the answer to both of those. We can be patient. We can be loving. We can be good examples. But Jesus Christ, when he died, he gave that responsibility, the keys of the kingdom, to us. To love, to offer hope. I don't know why we would get angry. The only reason I could think that we would ever get angry at sinners is because we are walking around in the same futility of our thinking. It should produce patience and love and desperation on our part. Now, Paul clarifies which type of ignorance he's referring to. So he says that this Ignorance is willful because it comes from the hardness of their heart. This is intentional. When the resurrection of Jesus came, you know, hey, listen, he's resurrected. Peter said, I can't believe it. When Thomas heard it, he said, I won't believe it. There's a huge difference between can't believe and won't believe. Hardened heart produces ignorance. Ignorance results in alienation from the life of God and a darkened understanding. 
So when you don't have the God life welling up in you, you don't have the tools to think, you don't have the tools to understand the kingdom of God, and Paul begins to give the outward uh, evidences of that, the outward results. He says they are callous, and that word means that they have stopped feeling pain, which means that the whole reason that they were living that way is because they were trying to mask the pain to begin with. Because there is a craving inside of every son of Adam who has experienced the fall and the the fallen nature. There is a craving inside of us for something else. And if we don't know what it is, or whether it's willful or unwillful, it creates pain. And there's lots of things not to remedy the pain, but to mask the pain. So they intentionally are looking to just callous over. And they do. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, uh, this is how he tells the church at Rome this. In verse uh, 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, this is willful hardening of the hearts. For what can be known about God is plain in them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they become what? Futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and the animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Listen to this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 4, because of their callous hearts and they've produced unwillingness to fear the Lord, they have no longer considered his kingdom in their thinking, they have become sensual as a way of life. This word means unbridled, without restraint. So with this self-destructive mindset, God just gives them over to that. Let do whatever it is that you're going to do. And there was a young man in the church that, uh, that Paul had pastored at one time at Corinth. And, and the same thing had happened to him. And what Paul had said was, you know what, let's just give him up, give him up to Satan that he may be buffeted for a time. 
Man, what? So what Paul is saying is, let him go. Let him go. And whenever he gets beaten and bruised and bloodied by the forces of hell themselves, he'll remember who Jesus is. When you get so far away, you'll remember who Jesus is. And sure enough, seems to have worked. But it was so hard. So with this self-destructive mindset, they heap continued trouble upon themselves, but with regret and with guilt and with shame. And it creates, listen, let me tell you, guilt and shame and regret and that feeling of abandonment and loneliness, I mean, that becomes a recipe for fear and anger and pain and all of the things that they're trying to mask. It just makes it worse. And we have the audacity to get angry our heart should be broken. In fact, because of this regret, he says they become greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That means that excessively, no limits. More guilt, more shame, more heartache, more brokenness, more collateral loss, a completely empty life. So Paul is writing, remember, he's not writing to Gentiles. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that are living like Christ. And he's warning them that they too can fall into the slippery slope. This life isn't limited to the world. It's a human problem. There are people in the church that fall prey to this too. Just because you pray to prayer doesn't mean you get to live like the Gentiles live. This is true for every one of us, and it needs to be a lesson to us. Verse 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ. This is not the way, this is not what you were taught about Jesus. Assuming you did hear, assuming that you were taught. Now, it's kind of funny. He's talking about hearing and also application. So this hearing and applying equals learning to Paul. That's how you know you're learning, is you're hearing and applying. That's learning. Very important. Let me say it again. It's not good enough just to come and hear. That's not learning. Hearing and applying is learning. So remember the word ignorance means a life without truth. So Paul brings that back and says in verse 21, the truth is actually Jesus Christ. He's the only source of truth. So what do we learn from hearing and applying? What does it look like to apply Jesus in our lives? This is what he says. It means to put away the non-Jesus things. To put off the non-Jesus things, the untruthful things. To put away literally means to cast off. It doesn't mean to set aside. It means to shuttle off the boat, to get rid of it entirely, cast it off. So the person Paul just described is every person. Put it away. Those things belong to your old way of life. And by the way, he says, they are corrupt. Which means, and you know, if you put anything near something that's corrupted, it corrupts it even quicker. What Paul is saying is you can't flirt with this stuff. So if you, if you who say you are in Christ still dabble around with corruption... Your life with Christ is going to be corrupted. And before long, it's completely taken over. It taints anything that's around. 
See, what Paul is saying is you can't wash in and out of Christ. You can't decide today, I'm going to get my life right and be right back where you were. It doesn't work that way. Then as soon as church is over, say, okay, now it's back to, I'll go back to church next Sunday, maybe. No, no, it doesn't work that way. That's not the way of life, the, 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 the Christ life works. And that's why Paul is saying, you didn't learn, it's not what you learned. You're being deceived. So here's something that I bolded and underlined in my notes. Whatever you hold on to from your old life will taint your life in Christ. Whatever you hold on to is going to taint whatever it is you're hoping to produce in Christ. So rather than being tainted by your former life, he said, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul begins to not just give don'ts, but Paul offers replacements. Put off this, put on this, put off this. Instead of this, do this. Life can't be about one or the other, and people want it to be. People want to say, I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to stop doing all these things. But to say yes to Jesus means I'm going to do all these things. To put off, you have to put back on. You can't just replace. Jesus actually told the, the uh, parable of the man who the, he, had, he had a demon in his house. Now, this is just figurative speaking here for the subject matter of the story that Jesus is teaching, is there's a, there's a demon in his house, and, and Jesus says the man got rid of the demon and swept the house completely out, got rid of that demon. Yay! The demon went, recovered himself, brought seven of his friends back. And the man's former was worse. I mean, his latter was worse than his former. See, and what, a, what is that? It's a scary thing. You mean I can get rid of demons out of my life? And what good is that? What Jesus is saying is, it's not good just to clean your house out. You have to replace those things with something else. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us, is you can't just say, I'm not going to do those things anymore. It's, you're going to do those things no more. Now you do these things. Okay? There's no neutral. So let's, let's begin. So in cast aside your old self, and in verse 24, put on the new self. And he says this, and I love, I love the way Paul says it. He says, in, in the original, he says, which is that new self is created as an exact replica of God's nature. Wait a minute. I'm not just forgiven. You're not just forgiven. You, you become the nature filled with the nature of God himself. That's incredible. But notice it's the work of God in a believer's life doesn't manifest without your active participation in that. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have written anything. He would just say, hey, everybody, if you're broken, pray this prayer. You don't need any encouragement. You don't need any rules. You don't need any commandments. Just pray this prayer and God will do the rest. But he doesn't. Get your life right with Jesus Christ. And now, now that you are put off and put on, that's on us. That's on us. God doesn't do this work. Now, he makes the work possible. He clarifies the work even. But he commands us to do it. So our Christian life becomes about learning in attitudes your attitudes beget behaviors. So if that's true, the things I do come from right here. So if I can modify what I do, does it do anything about this right here? 
That's, I think it's the, the, the biggest lie that the world believes that I need to just change my behavior and it'll change everything. It, it's, it's temporary at best. You can change what you do, but until you think change this, nothing changes. And the only way you can change this is to have this resurrected in your life, the Spirit. If the Spirit's not resurrected, you're a slave to sin. But because the Spirit, because Jesus Christ breathed into my spirit and gave me life because of His resurrection, my spirit can now, my mind can be renewed in the Spirit. And when it is, it can tell the flesh to be put away. So life becomes about learning what to put off and what to put on. You know, when I think this, what happens in the flesh? When I think this, what happens in the spirit? Is this anger righteous anger? Is this anger selfish? Is this emotion something that Jesus would feel or is this, is this something that's in me? It's about learning the sensitivity of the spirit, knowing what to put off and what to put on. And your flesh must be put off as dead. Your spirit must be put on, but that's not automatic. The battle is won in the mind. Look at verse 25. So what are the replacements for the life in the flesh? You've, you've put away false truths, the ignorance, the corruption, the sensuality, the, the greedy, selfish excesses. So instead of falsehood, speak the truth. Remember back in verse 15, he told us to speak the truth in love to one another. You can't, you can't be in Christ and be silent about the truth. That's one of the things that we learn here. The proof that you've put away the false is you're able to verbally testify of the truth. We speak Jesus to each other is what Paul is saying. Instead of allowing people to stay in lies, we speak the truth to one another because we love each other. And we're only making ourselves stronger because we are one together. Now, there always needs to be a focus on the world around us, no doubt. But we cannot neglect the importance of building ourselves up as well. There's a balance that's necessary. You know, I guess the, the, what I'm trying to say is, who is the church for? Is the church for the world to find a refuge to come to? Is that who the church should always be catering to? Or should the church just be kind of this social group where we all, you know, this little closed-knit society. And I think the truth of the matter is it's got to be both at the same time. It's got to be a place where we belong to one another, but the thing that we have in common is reaching the nations with the good news of the gospel. It's got, there's, got to be, there's got to be a balance of that. But one thing is for certain, we can't just become Christians and sit silently in a pew each week and say we've done our deeds. Christians can't be silent in regard to the truth. We practice that truth to one another. And as we practice those truths with one another, we go out together and practice those truths to the world. So beginning in verse 25, he begins a, a put-off, put-on process. Now that you are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, you have access to his nature. That resurrected spirit, that renewed mind means purified emotions. All of a sudden, we find out that God himself is an emotional God. Every emotion you have, God has, but without sin. God's jealous, but not selfishly. God gets angry, but not selfishly, not to sin. 
Every, every emotion that we experience. But the problem is, is when we fail in our flesh, when Adam failed, part of the consequence of the uh, fallen nature is also fallen emotions. So when I get angry, inevitably, it's personal and selfish. I didn't get my way, and I'm not in control, and I don't like that very much. <clears throat> right? So he says, be angry. You can be angry, but don't sin. Now, wait, in the flesh, if you're holding on to all those things you're supposed to put off, you can't be angry and not sin. But if you're living in the Spirit, be angry about the right things. In fact, the Bible has a very, very special name for this. Righteous indignation. Doesn't that sound great? I'm not angry. I am righteously indignant. all of a sudden our emotions can also begin to look well wouldn't that be great it's one thing not to have all this sin dripping off of our life we don't murder we don't sleep around we don't steal things from people people look at us and say oh man I wish I was that good (laughs) yeah but boy if you only knew what I was thinking if you only knew what I was thinking wouldn't it be great to be able to live as a Christian and not be worried about what you were thinking or what you were feeling for that to be purified. So when we're following his nature, our anger can be righteous. It's able to be settled. It's able to be closed. Don't, don't allow anger to settle in your mind because your mind is corrupt. So when that anger, even if it's the right kind, if it settles into your mind and you allow it to dwell there, boy, if it's there for very long, takes off. In fact, he says, give no opportunity to the devil because he will take that. Boy, does he ever. So, put off. Thieves. It's interesting to me. He's writing to Christians. All you thieves in the church, steal no more. Put on. Do honest work. See, stealing isn't just about taking material things that don't belong to you. Stealing can also be working for somebody and not giving them all your hard work. It's not just people who are laying, crouching around, waiting to take something when nobody's looking. Sometimes it's right out in the public. Paul says it's a matter of your heart, not a matter of what you're you're taking. Thieves, steal no more. Do hard work. Make more money. By doing hard work so that whenever the time comes around, you're not looking to steal from somebody, but rather you're living open-handedly. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to live open-handedly? To feel good about what your hands are producing? Let me tell you how you can feel good about what your hands are producing. Increase your opportunity to look around and see, what can I, what can I give to? Well, some of you are excellent at that. What can I give to? Excellent. Don't just work for yourself. Work so that you can work for each other and be a blessing to each other. Put off. You are corrupt, so your words are corrupt. He says, put off your corrupting talk. Now, that's one thing for in my heart, in my mind, to have corruption lodged in there so the things I think and the things that I feel get corrupted. It's a whole other thing when that corruption comes out and my words start corrupting you. 
tainting you. You ever been around somebody that grumbles and complains all the time? What are you going to do? You're going to fall right in with them. Are you going to listen to them? You're going to give an ear to them? It's because their corrupt talk corrupted your listening. And then your listening gets corrupted, your talk gets corrupted as well. But So put off corrupt talk. But don't just stay silent. Put on this. Put on words that build up. So whenever you start thinking about, boy, I don't really have anything to say here, then don't say anything. Or you say, you know, you, sometimes we feel like we just have to say something. It's usually not the right thing when we don't know. Here's what we funnel that through. We filter that through. How can I say what needs to be said? I think we would say a lot less words. How can I say what needs to be said in a way that builds up? How could these words add grace to a person's life? Well, how much different would our conversations be if that were the rule? So think about, think about a typical day. Are your words upbuilding and grace, gracious or are your words corrupting? Listen to this. Then Paul says in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the Holy Spirit really does three things. And all three of those things can boil down in, into one thing. But in John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, When He comes, He will convict the world of sin. So that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. He shines light on sin. Another thing that He does is He comforts us using the words of, of God. And so whenever we're going through sorrow or pain or whatever it is, He comes alongside and He says, Remember who Jesus is. So when I'm about to sin, I get this conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember who Jesus is. When I'm in pain, remember who Jesus is. There's this constant reminder of Jesus when you're living in the Spirit. And so the Spirit then is a lot to us. He exposes our guilt. He reveals the Word of God. And He reveals the glory of Jesus Christ. All three of those things can be come down into remember Jesus. When you're living the way of your culture, the way of your nature, the way the Gentiles do, it's proof that you have forgotten Jesus. Maybe not with your whole life, but in these moments. And when you are living forgetting who Jesus is, it's grievous to the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. This is, this is much different than the unpardonable sin or blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Not the same thing. Not even, not even at all. But Acts 7.51 says we can quench the Holy Spirit. Here, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. In, uh, again, in Acts, we resist the Holy Spirit. So we resist the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. You can judge that by how you speak and how you think. So, there are results of grieving the Holy Spirit. There, there are byproducts when you are putting off the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it's this, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. But here's what you should put on. Put all those off. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You won't have to deal with all those things. But remember who Jesus is. 
Remember who Jesus is in every relationship, in every interaction with people. And here's what will happen. Be kind to one another. How? Tenderhearted. But how can I be tenderhearted? What does tenderhearted look like? Forgive one another. By the way, in order to forgive, there must be a reason to forgive. This isn't living in a perfect utopian world. Sometimes we slip in and out of Gentile thinking. But when we do, we forgive each other. But how do I know if I've truly forgiven? Here's how you know. Your forgiveness will look like the forgiveness that you received from Jesus himself, from God the Father. So if you've truly received his grace, there's fruit. And that fruit is that you reveal the grace in and through the church. That the world may, be, may see the example of Jesus lived out through the people of God through their hearts, through their minds, through their actions, through their emotions, through even the words that are spoken, you can hear, sense, and feel the life of Christ flowing through someone who has put on the righteousness and holiness of God. So what kind of example of Christ are you when things aren't perfect, when things don't go your way, when you're tempted, when you're tested, when you're tried? What does the world see well up in you? A lot of people want to excuse their sin. But listen, you cannot put on Christ until you put off the fallen nature. You can't add Jesus to the thinking of the Gentiles. So this morning, Paul reminds us that there's a decision that even once we're Christians that we have to make every day, every day, Am I going to listen to my flesh or am I going to listen to my, my spirit? As important to that is as I go about my day, I'm going to run into other people and they're asking themselves that same question. And we've got to learn how to love and how to forgive and how to reach out and how to be the example of Christ so that the world can see him in us. So this, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. A lot, of, a lot of teaching this morning, a lot of things Paul is reminding us of, but I want to say to us this morning as a church, we need to recognize that how we think affects how we feel and how we feel affects what we do and whose strength and power we're going to live in. So if you've not taken every thought captive to Christ and you're not putting on the mind of Christ and you're not allowing your mind to be renewed day by day, we need to make sure that's where we begin. So I want to ask us to take just a moment and seek the Lord and ask Him to give us a new mind. Ask Him to remind us of our identity in Christ and that we begin the process of living every day, asking ourselves, how can I speak words that lift? How can I speak words of grace? How can I do actions of love? How can I live open-handedly and give? How can I work harder? How can I love more deeply? How can I look more and more like Jesus? And every day that we live, we're learning more about that, learning what to put off and what to put on. so that Christ may be revealed through us. So let's take just a moment and give our hearts to the Lord.
If, if, no, not if, since we have such a difficulty in living as the Gentiles live, let us make sure that in any of our praying, we recognize that. And let's take this opportunity to repent before the Lord and ask him to forgive us for forgetting who we are and forgetting whose we are. Begin with forgiveness and then be filled with the Spirit. Lord, this morning we remember what you have done in us. We remember that we are not who we were. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't only believe that positionally, but that would be true of us as well, is that not only are we positionally like Jesus, but we actually think like Him and live like Him and love like Him, care like He cares, compassionate like He is compassionate, reaching as He reaches. We're an extension of Your kingdom here on earth. And I pray, Lord, that You would soften our hearts to those who are willingly, willfully ignorant of your truths who turn a blind eye maybe they've been hurt maybe they've been wounded but for whatever reason Lord I know that the church of Jesus Christ has the answer to Gentile thinking to Jewish thinking so Lord I pray that we would reveal kingdom thinking and that when people see how we love our tender hearts that they would remember who you are. So forgive us where we have failed you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Help us not to only hear today, but to apply. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.